Hey, welcome to night school. And there's a real cold wind blowing out there. There's a real cold wind blowing outside today. There is. It's a harsh, cold Russian wind. I'd call it a Russian wind because it just does something to your face. It's brisk. And uh, that's sort of the overall feeling I've got today. A cold Russian wind hitting my face. I've been thinking lately about the idea of community as a person who's not communal at all. I don't hate the idea of sharing things. I don't hate the idea of participating in something with people at all. But when something becomes a community, I start to feel uncomfortable. Or when I find myself, when I look around and I suddenly realize, oh, I'm part of a community. And there are some communities that we inevitably will be a part of, whether we want to be or not. If you live in a neighborhood, a town, anything like that, you're part of a community, of course. I think that's the most literal version of community. But you don't really have to do much. You don't really have to do much. You don't even have to know your neighbors at this point. At this point. And I'm not going to be one of those people who complains about modern people, which I am. Uh, that's a group I'm a part of. I'm part of the modern people community. We're a, a community of modern people. <laughs> I can just imagine that. I'm, I'm sure that exists. I'm sure there's some club or community in a town where they're like, we're a, we're a community of modern people. We, we talk about the latest technology. We talk about uh, you know the concerns our children are facing, the concerns that we didn't have to face in this changing world, because we are modern people. No. Uh, but, you know, I could complain. We don't, people don't even know their neighbors. And it's like I've lived in, I lived in a house for seven and a half years and never once met the people who lived to my left the entire time. And not for a lack of trying. I did say hi to them once on the way to the mailbox, and they were a lot older than I was, and they didn't say anything back. And when you say hi to a neighbor and they don't say anything back, that pretty much curbs everything. You're not going to know them. You're not going to know them if they don't even say hi back at the mailbox. Uh, but so we were still part of the same community, though, and that's kind of what I was getting at. That's the interesting thing about it is you can live next to somebody for seven and a half years, longer than that. But I lived next to those people for seven and a half years. We were next door neighbors, and we were part of the same community on our street, in our neighborhood, in the town. Our interests were the same in some in some respects. We both don't want any uh, any vehicle prowls on our street. We both don't want any nonsense, any trouble coming to our street, our little dead end street. So in that, there's you know we're part of the same community. We have certain shared ideals in common. We don't want no vehicle prowls. Uh, and uh, but you know when we think about community, we think of something a little more intimate. You know beyond just the practical city town element. Uh, you know we th we think of something a little more intimate, something that you participate in actively, something that brings you together with other people. And that's the part that is foreign to me, even though I've been a part of it. And I grew up in a place where there was a pretty strong sense of community, at least among, you know, the, the parents who had kids who were in the same age range. And, you know, pretty much a, a lot of the parents who had kids in the same school system most of their lives, things like that. It was a pretty wide group of people. It wasn't just, you know, one little group of friends or anything like that. It, it spread around and people, people would do things. It, you know, it was not a small town, but in some ways there was this small town sense of community uh, at times, I guess. Uh, some might disagree. Uh, but I was a kid, and when you're a kid, you're just winging it. You're just there. And as a kid, I wouldn't say I was antisocial in the sense that I just completely resented any congregation of people. And I say antisocial in the, the true sense of the word, not this kind of hack version that just means I don't like to go outside. I don't mean it in that way. I just mean it in, you know, a true antisocial personality is someone who just does not, is just not compatible with society and it's, you know, shared, uh, you know, just shared respect for what goes on within that society, for the people within that society. 
Um, you know, there's, there's a reason why you see an old criminal reports, antisocial personality, and it basically means that person's a robbing, raping, killing, you know, beast. Uh, so, you know, I wasn't an antisocial personality, but there was this part of me that always felt uncomfortable whenever I felt like I was, you know, participating, par- par- I was participating in uh, something communal, uh, something that was intended to bring people together. Like, all my life, when I hear the word potluck, I just want to jump out a window. I just, if I go to a potluck, if I have if I have to go to a potluck, something about that word that turns me off, and I just, I don't want to bring anything. I'm going to bring my body, and I'm going to throw it out the window. That's my offering. That's what I'm offering to the the potluck. And it's popular. You, you'd be surprised. You know, it sounds like the complete opposite of what people are looking for at a potluck, seeing a guy jump out the window, but it's very popular. There's people who are like, hey, have you tried Sharon's, uh, her peanut butter brownies? It's so good. It's so good. I think I'm going to have another. And uh, someone else is like, uh, you know, Kathy did something creative with tater tots. They still just taste like tater tots, but they're texturally, you know, nasty, mashed together mass of nothing. Uh, But it's good. It might not look good, but it's good. Uh, You know, you got that. And then you got the guy throwing himself out the window. People really love that. They say, have you tried throwing yourself out the window? Have you tried throwing yourself out the window? It's good. Look what that guy did. Look what he did. Uh, that's how I feel at a potluck. I don't know why. You know, there's no explanation for it. It's always been my feeling. I still feel that way, but I feel a little less resentful over the years. You know, once I started to understand the purpose of community and get-togethers and people banding together, uh, I stopped resenting it so much. Because when I was a kid, there was this level of resentment. Like I said, it wasn't, you know, pure antisocial, like, just completely, like... You know, I'm I'm gonna do everything I can to you know defy, you know, healthy society. And it wasn't it wasn't anything like that, but it was just this kind of like, just a cold resentment, a cold Russian wind of resentment that I would feel when it came to communal events. And you know, I can still feel that tendency. It's almost like you know any kind of cynical outlook, or when you reprogram your brain to be less negative or to respond. Uh, less aversely to things, you still feel that inclination. You still feel something kicking in, telling you to go fuck this, or you know see the worst in this situation, or see the worst in that person. Uh, you still have that tendency, but it's it just gets nipped in the bud right before it can bloom into you know a nasty look or you know a nasty thought. It doesn't. It never really expands beyond just that initial feeling of fuck this, but then it just ends. That's just it. You never actually throw yourself out the window. You just look at that window and think about what it would be like to open it up and uh, throw your body through it, but you never actually do it. That's the difference is once you kind of develop that discipline. Uh, but I did used to resent that more, and then as I got older, I was just I realized, oh, you know, there's there's a reason why people come together. There's a reason why people need each other, and there's a reason why people feel so empty when they don't have any sense of community. And it, there is some kind of crisis in our world today. That is one thing I will say as a representative of the community of modern people. Uh, that is one thing I will say, is there does seem to be a crisis of community, or lack thereof. And people are desperate for that feeling, because it goes way back. It goes back to the beginning, that feeling of community. And uh, I don't know if it's true, you know. I'm Once again, I'm, I'm a member of the community of modern people here. Uh, but it sure seems like it was much more readily available. Whether you wanted it or not, it was much more readily available just for the sake of sheer survival. We had to band together in tribes. We had to find the community around us in order to make it. And, uh, you know, it, it was just part of the whole thing. It was part of the whole thing. 
where you had to find community where it was available and it it was in greater abundance you know people started communities within communities you had you know fraternal organizations that's a great example men joined fraternal organizations women had uh, supper parties that they announced in the newspaper i recommend look at old newspapers it'll tell you a lot it'll tell you a lot uh, in the back in these in the backs of old newspapers, you'll see that they had like party announcements. People would announce their party, and not upcoming parties, not like an invitation, not like, oh, the, you know, the the Hellbigs are having a, a party this Sunday, and you are all invited, because they have such a, you know, community is just available in these times. It wasn't anything like that. They would announce them after the fact. So if you're looking through an old newspaper, in the back of the paper, it'll say, like, the Helbigs had, uh, a, or Mrs. Helbig had a party last weekend, and Mrs. Uh, Infanti was there, and, and so was, you know, Mrs. Smith and, and Mrs. Talbot. You know, it would be a list like that of who came. And, you know, you know that was done to make someone feel bad. You know, there's this whole fear of missing out thing today where, uh, you, you know, people... Uh, I don't know if it's still going on. I don't even know how popular anything is right now. You know, I don't know if people are still doing this, but, you know, for a while people would, you know, post pictures from the party. Post a bunch of pictures from the party. Oh, I love the party, but what I really loved is uh, posting pictures of it. And so people would post pictures from a party the previous night or at the party. People do it with their phones at the party. It was live, practically, a live photo. Uh, and uh, people see that and they think, I wasn't invited. Who was invited? Who's in those pictures? Who's tagged? Who's tagged? And uh, that's what people were doing back... That's why things don't really change that much. Things don't change... People talk about all this stuff, this this technological stuff, like it's something different. And it's like the medium has changed, but not the intent and not the result. And if you look at these old newspapers, it was like Mrs. Mrs. Johnson held a a supper party on Sunday, and so-and-so-and-so-and-so-and-so were invited. And it's like, that's tagging people in the back of a newspaper. Why, why else would you announce that you had a party the previous weekend? Like, it's, it's old news at that point. You know, the people who were there were there. They remember it. Why would you announce to everybody else that you had a party and who, who all was there? It's a funny thing to read. Uh, uh, but anyway, community was available. You know, communities were available, and they still are. Uh, but they're a little more forced. I feel like you have to you have to seek them out, and I think that's where I find myself at odds with the idea of community, is when it feels forced. Because sometimes a little community will naturally develop either out of you know a combination of friendships, out of common interests, and uh, it's it's really a beautiful thing when it develops naturally. And you're kind of aware of it, but you're not really thinking about it because just the simple function of that community is enough. But somebody almost always takes it a little too far and tries to kind of formalize it or take the lead. And uh, it becomes the actual community becomes too acknowledged by the people who are participating. And so it becomes community for the sake of community rather than some just organic thing that developed and uh it's it's once again what takes me out of so many things kind of like the example i've given before about tv commercials where even if a tv commercial was funny i'm opposed to it because i know what they're trying to do i know what their agenda is and i can find laughs elsewhere i can find laughs elsewhere uh, you know, I can find I can find some place to laugh elsewhere that's not in a TV commercial that's trying to sell me something or push something on me in some way or another. So it's just it's it's you know a values thing. You know where I I don't want to laugh at that, and I feel the same way about these movies that come out where they very clearly cast somebody, you know, of, of a certain type just to make a statement. And I'm not saying that that always happens. I'm not saying that's always the case. Uh, that somebody clearly had an agenda because they cast somebody that you that comes from a background or, or belongs to an identity group that you wouldn't otherwise expect to play that role. Whatever you know, I'm not saying that's always the case, but a lot of times it is, and you can just sense it. It's one of those things you can just feel. Uh, 
uh, and it, it's the same way I feel about what I'm saying about community, where the second it, it kind of develops this agenda, it, it kind of turns into something inorganic. And whenever something like that happens, it doesn't matter what it is I'm talking about. Whenever I start to detect that something is no longer organic and it's got some ulterior motive to it, and it's not necessarily some nefarious ulterior motive, it could just be anything, really. It could be anything that takes away what that thing originally was or is or is meant to be or is meant to represent. Uh, And I've certainly felt that. And I think... What's worse than not having any community around you is being part of a community that you feel is somehow false or, or based on something flimsy or faulty. And I wish, I wish I could give some examples here, and I think there are plenty. And it could be a social group. It could be you know based on a common interest, like I said, because communities form in all kinds of different ways. I mean, it might not even necessarily be in person. I mean, when I'm talking about community here, I'm talking about in the flesh. I'm talking about fleshy communities here, uh, but not fleshy in that way. I would never participate in that kind of immoral behavior, not those kind of fleshy communities. Um, But in the flesh, in the fleshy, I'm talking about that, but all these things apply to the internet as well, because once again, you know, the medium might change, but you still see the same things. That's why you see the same behavior on message, you could see the same behavior on message boards in 2001 as you would in fraternal organizations in 1901. And you can see the same thing now on social media in 2021, is that, isn't that the year we're in? 2019-21? That's the year we're in. Um, so you see the same things play out. You see the same tendencies play out. doesn't matter whether it's online, in person, 100 years ago, 100 years from now. I have a feeling we'll be seeing some of the same tendencies. And uh, communities, too. It's like as much as it, it, they do bring people together, we also see where they, they drive people apart. Familiarity breeds contempt, which is so true. I've seen it play out over and over again on an individual level, you know, in groups of friends, in, you know, creative contexts, uh, workplaces, just... And, and I, I'm saying that, too, not just when... It's, I mean that too, like familiarity breeds contempt, like when there's actually like a like a, a strong bond between people. Uh, I'm losing my words here, but what I mean is like you'll see people who get along very well and are all about each other. They celebrate each other. You'll see where familiarity will eventually breed contempt, even with them. And of course, it doesn't happen with some people too. You know, some people maintain harmony. But you do see this within communities where eventually somebody disagrees with somebody and factions form. And it could be a very small community. I remember uh, at a bar I used to hang out with, there were a bunch of regulars there. And they weren't the worst of bar crowds. Like, you know, I was never somebody who really got into the, like, sitting up at the bar and getting to know all the fellow regulars. But... There was a bar I used to go to where a bunch of people ended up getting to know each other, and I was on kind of the periphery of it. And uh, just as you can expect, some kind of drama unfolded that I was not aware of, but I kind of witnessed this all from uh, from a booth across the room, let's say, both literally and otherwise. A uh, metaphorical booth. Uh, and, and I just remember, like, even within this small group of people, seeing the way that, you know, factions form and, and people take sides and, and it gets embarrassing quickly. And people split very quickly and they form their own little groups. And, I mean, it doesn't matter if it's a, a bunch of drunks at a bar like that or it could be, you know, in the Middle East. It could be Islam. It could be, you know, Christianity. It could be in these religions where we've seen the same thing play out, where people who are initially on the same page... Uh, and have the same belief system and are part of the same religious community, have some disagreement over who gets appointed to some leadership position, or they disagree over, you know, some interpretation of Scripture. And next thing you know, it's like they're the, the greatest of enemies. Familiarity breeds contempt, you know, yet again. And so communities are kind of dangerous in that way, even though they bring us together, and a lot of them are very stable there's a lot of rivalry. There's a lot of 
you know, people rub up against each other in, in a lot of different ways, and that can cause problems. Uh, and for me, though, it's, it's just a feeling of, you know, here's what I'll say is worse than not having any sense of community. I was saying, you know, it, it can be worse to be in a community where you feel that there's something faulty or flimsy about it. But that might be you. And I think that's sort of been my experience is when I've been a part of a community I often feel like I'm the false one. I, I almost feel like I'm going through the motions, like I somehow got roped into it. And I'm not, you know, I make this sound like I'm just, I'm just falling into these groups all over the place. But sometimes you don't even realize when you are a part of something. And that's a weird feeling when suddenly you realize that something has formed and you're a part of it. And the more that you interact with the world, and I've gone through little phases, you know, most of my life, I really haven't been that interactive with the, the greater world around me. But I have gone through little, uh, you know, pockets of doing that, and you'll you will find suddenly like, oh, I'm kind of a part of something go that's going on that I didn't realize I was a part of. And you know, for me, it's like I've had this feeling where I'm like, oh shit, like they don't realize that I'm. It's imposter syndrome. Uh, it's it's a, definitely a form of imposter syndrome where you're like, you know, I'm. I have this sense of guilt because I. All these people are invested in this thing, in this sense of community, and they think I'm a part of it. Meanwhile, you know, I'm just, you know, I'm trying to sneak out here. I'm not, you know, I got my back to the wall and I'm looking for the exit yet again. And, you know, and it doesn't mean you have any, like, it doesn't mean you're, you're holding on to any negativity. It doesn't mean that you're, you know, resentful. Like little Eric was, you know, about potlucks. It doesn't mean you're looking for a window to throw yourself out of, uh, but you are looking for a door. Uh, you've grown up. You're no longer looking for a window to throw yourself out of. You're just looking for the door, like a normal person. Uh, but I have had that sensation more than once where I'm kind of like, man, when are they going to realize that, you know, I'm not actually a part of this? I just kind of ended up here. And if you drink, that'll happen a lot. <laughs> you know, if you if you drink, you know, you'll you will find yourself in places with people, and you'll just kind of be like, "Oh wait, what happened here? Uh, I have these. Who are these people? Who am I? That's that's the big ones. Who am I? If if, if I'm here and these people think I'm this, then who am I? Uh, that's a big question you might run into at some point." Uh, but uh, but at the same time, you know, even though you have that false sense, it's like I there's something I'm asking myself these days is like, do I need a stronger sense of community, especially given that I, I've detached myself from certain interests, certain hobbies and a lot of relationships. And I've made myself very unavailable for the past couple years. And I, I think I'm at peak unavailability and I don't feel that my door is being knocked down or pounded on by anybody but in times where, you know, I've met people or, you know, got, you know, found myself in certain situations, it's, it sucks. It sucks to realize that you're just in a position, whether it's temporary, whether it's permanent, whether it's taking you somewhere, whether you are where you need to be, doesn't really matter. But just to, to realize that you are unavailable. And if you're lucky enough to have people in your life who want something from you, even if it's just simply your time and your uh, attention, if you're lucky enough to have people who, who just enjoy you and want that, whether they're new or old, it really sucks to find that you are unavailable. And uh, unavailable on a, on a personal level, unavailable on an individual level, and certainly unavailable on a communal, on a communal level. Although I have no guilt about that. I, I never feel any guilt over not being able to participate in a community because I often find that I feel unnatural. Uh, I, I feel just out of place. And I think people pick up on that. And I think when you try to go through the motions, eventually people do kind of sniff you out. Uh, and and it's just, I don't know. It's just sort of uh, an exercise in futility. But I do recognize the need for community, and I sometimes question, you know, whether there are communities that I should seek out. You know, in sobriety, that's a big one, because as I was saying, you know, a lot of people find community as adults through drinking, and a lot of it's good. You know, I'm not, as I said before, as I have said before in previous episodes, you know, I'm not one of these people who is like, oh, I quit drinking, it's all bad. Anything I don't do anymore, I reject. Anything that caused me problems, 
was nothing but problems. No, you know, there's a lot of good to that. And, you know, as much as I was saying, like, sometimes just through drinking, you, you'll find yourself with people, knowing people, and in all kinds of situations where you're kind of like, how did I get here? And I don't mean the literal, like, blackout, how did I get here, although that too, that'll certainly <laughs> help, that'll uh, expedite the whole process. Uh, but you you do find on in a greater sense in your life, you're just kind of like, how did I get here? You know, uh, who am I? You know, you'll find yourself asking those kinds of questions. Uh, but, you know, it's and so so I don't mean I'm you know, I don't mean that in a purely negative sense either. It doesn't have to be bad. I mean, it's kind of fun. It's a lot of fun. Uh, but you will, uh, you know, if, if you're a drinker, you know, hopefully you do end up with some sense of community about it, whether it's the people you see at the bar, whether it's, you know, the good times that you have with friends. There's, there's a lot of good to it. And uh, even though it can sometimes feel like, you know, an ex- execution-style community, you know, it's like you're hanging out in prison waiting for something to happen to somebody, waiting for the, the fateful day. It can definitely feel that way. It's also fun, and, it, and, it's, and you know those people, and, it, and it's an easy way to connect with people, and, you know, you have a few drinks, and, you know, the awkwardness drops away. There's a reason why people embrace that as adults, especially adults who don't have any other, you know, healthier form of community in their lives, and I don't mean that to, you know, I, I think that drinking even to excess with a bunch of people all the time, I think that can be healthier than some, you know, that could probably be healthier than some bicycle group. You know, or some, there's probably some biking group, people who meet up like at 5 a.m. on Saturday mornings. It's really toxic. So I'm, I'm not, you don't have to take this too literally where, uh, I don't know. You know what I mean? Anything can be bad. Anything can be good. But when people lose that, when, when someone has built up some sense of community through drinking and they lose that, you know, the obvious answer is to go to a group, AA. Um, some sort of 12-step group, and, you know, there's, I think there's different versions of it, a therapy group. I haven't gone to anything like that myself, and I sometimes question, you know, whether there would be value in it. Uh, I don't feel that I need it in order to maintain sobriety. I don't feel that I need it in order to maintain a generally positive outlook, or at least a neutral outlook, feeling a lot more neutral than positive lately. Those cold Russian winds, how could you be positive with those cold Russian winds on your face? Um, uh, but I, I do question sometimes whether, you know, it would be an opportunity for me to help other people with what's worked for me and in turn, you know, obviously get something out of it myself. Uh, I always liked on Gary Busey on uh, that celebrity rehab show. I always loved that because everybody hated him on the show, but he was obviously the best character. And of course, I'd be a Gary Busey fan. Uh, but he got on the show to to be one of the patients but he was convinced that he was there to be one of the the helpers, like the assistants, to be some sort of uh, a counselor, like a junior counselor. And I just love that dilemma of them trying to, like, you know, deal with Gary Busey, who's just like them. He's one of the patients who has an alcohol and, you know, weed problem. A weed problem. Uh, weed's ruining Gary Busey's life. Uh, <laughs> And, uh, but yet he's convinced he's a junior counselor. And I feel like I could easily find myself in that situation where I'm like, no, no, I'm your counselor. Uh, but I do question that. And I don't want to go on about that too much more. Uh, but, you know, I, I do question like whether that kind of community would be helpful. And I've decided no, you know, what I've seen and what I've observed, I'm just, I've been, I've been given some signs that that's probably not the best route for me, at least at this point. But I have considered it, and I, and I have considered other options. But part of it's just, once again, that, you know, unavailability. I don't feel like I'm available to people right now. And it feels sort of absurd to do podcasts and sometimes speak so candidly and do this whole Dear Diary shtick on this show when I don't feel that I'm really capable of giving a similar level of energy to people in my life who I care about and who I genuinely care about, you know, it's not like these are just, you know, I don't know. I don't, I don't know what the alternative is. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, it's just, it's a strange feeling though. It's a strange feeling. Uh, and I recognize that I shouldn't just force myself to, you know, find some sense of community. And I think, you know, I really 
haven't given that much consideration to some sort of AA or 12-step group. What I've given more consideration to is something that, you know, would give me an even greater spiritual foundation, because I think that's actually the biggest struggle that I find. And I don't feel very spiritually tuned in right now. I think my life, fortunately, has gone in a direction where... I'm kind of, you know, I'm I'm in that place more often than not where where those are my interests and I do feel engaged with the world in that way, not in some crazy supernatural way, but just in just a basic fundamental way, like a like a waking up and, you know, having breakfast kind of way. Uh and so I feel very fortunate that I still kind of have that feeling even though I don't feel tuned in. Uh but it does it, it it does kind of suck to not have people to talk to about that. And unfortunately there aren't that many options available uh, because, you know, you could join a, a group that, you know, has a certain practice, but as someone who, you know, is serious about it, but also d- does a lot of it independently and kind of has my own, ha- I have my own way of, understanding and interpreting certain things and, you know, my own language to some degree. Uh, it's in English. It's it's the English language, which actually kind of does feel like it's just your own language sometime. I mean, when you look at, you know, people who are very involved in Buddhist communities, for example, which, you know, does have a lot of close parallels to, you know, what I'm focused on. And, but it's like when everybody's talking and all those, you know, words they read in the books and, and, you know, that you've, you've got to, you know, explain things in that language. Uh, it's just like, you know, I'm just using English the way I understand it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and, and I know there's a lot of that. I know there's a lot of, uh, you know, Western spirituality that, that does speak in expedited. There's a term, uh, Skillful means and uh, expedited means, I believe both are used, where it's basically explaining things in language that you can easily understand, because that'll have a greater impact, uh, both from a teaching perspective and otherwise. And so you'll find plenty of that. But it's still, it, it, I think what what stands out to me is that I'm not a practicing Buddhist. I'm not a practicing Christian, even though I draw from both of those ideas and I've taken a lot from them. And not necessarily by choice. They've just, you know, found their way into my life more. In addition to, you know, much more esoteric stuff. More esoteric stuff. Uh, you know, it's all kind of found its way into my life in different ways. Uh, and, you know, even to some degree, uh, still, uh, y- you know, I'll, I'll always have a place for Odin. I'll always have a place for, you know, my heritage. And I, I think a lot of that is worked into my life in a physical way, strangely enough. I feel a much stronger physical connection to, uh, I don't want to call it a Satru. I don't, I don't want to put any particular brand on it. Um, but traditional Norse, uh, pagan religions, pagan beliefs. Um, I, I feel a much more physical connection to that, which is strange. Uh, you know, maybe just having that heritage, having that in my blood would explain it. Maybe not. But anyway, my point being, you know, enough about me in this monologue about me. Talking too much about me in this monologue about me. Uh, you know, it's hard to find a, a sense of community that reinforces those things. And when you do find it, you, you kind of look around and you're like, man, I'm with a bunch of losers, <laughs> you know? And, and I, I mean that lovingly because yeah, as as one of those losers, because um, I actually know people who participate in uh, some Asatru groups and things like that in the Pacific Northwest. And, you know, I, I see what they do, but it's just... It's not for me to participate in that way. It's it's once again it it follows you know too direct of a path, and I think that's just my path is is to accept the fact that none of these communities are necessarily what's going to support what I'm trying to do or what I'm doing. Uh, and there's some uh, some peace in accepting that, but it's also difficult, you know, because there is a part of us that does seek out a sense of community, that does seek out reinforcement. And so when you don't have that, uh, it's an asset that's not available to you at the very least. And uh, that asset, you know, you can talk, it, that sounds very uh, 
cold, like an asset. A community is an asset. It's there to it's 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 there for you to use. And I don't even mean it in that way. I mean it could just simply be acceptance, love, understanding. I mean, I think those are the greatest assets of all. And those those are the reasons why, you know, I went from a kid who wanted to jump out the window to an adult who just wanted to walk out the door. Because I understood that this is all about love, acceptance, understanding. But uh, when you see love, acceptance, and understanding, and you still don't feel a part of things, that can often be even more alienating than just feeling resentment or feeling totally, like, shut out. Because the thing about any community is it, you got to shut people out, man. I have no problem with exclusivity. And that includes situations where I'm the one who's excluded. I have no problem with limitation, exclusivity. Not exclusivity for the sake of it. Uh, that's a fun word to say when you get it right. It's a word that you think you're going to stutter over. You think you're going to get it wrong. Uh, exclusivity, exclusivity, exclusivity. You know, it's, it's, it's a word that you think you're going to fuck up, and when you get it right, it feels good. It's a good note to hit. Uh, but, you know, a community doesn't really mean much if it doesn't have some sort of boundary or limitation, and it doesn't necessarily have to be some, you know, formally defined thing where you have to, fo- you, you know, you have to meet these, um, you have to meet these exact standards to be a part of our community. You know, sometimes it's something as simple as, uh, hey, you know, every time we have that Christmas get-together, every time we have that Christmas potluck, you know, Frank comes and he jumps out the window. The window. Every time we have that uh, get-together, Frank comes and he jumps out the window. It, it, you know, people used to like it, but times have changed. We're now a community of modern people. And people just aren't comfortable with people jumping out the window anymore. And I, I, I propose that we no longer invite Frank, or, or Frank's the guy who, you know, every year he starts an argument, he pisses somebody off, and you're like, well, you know, Frank's been a part of the club for, you know, 20 years, you know, he pays his dues. We can't just, you know, we got to think about Frank's feelings. But, you know, if Frank pisses off 10 people at the party every year, at some point you have to, you know, enforce a a boundary a rule you have to be exclusive and uh, I think the best form of exclusivity is kicking out the people who fuck things up <laughs> you know it's like that's the easiest one to make is if someone is always disrupting the greater good that's the easiest rule to make but people of course always come up with uh, you know you know, more elaborate rules for things. And, you know, the more communities around, the more formalized it becomes, the more ridiculous those rules can be. It's like a covenant. I mean, if you're aware of housing covenants, you have these sub-developments that get built, and they have a housing covenant where if you leave your garbage can out for an extra day after garbage day, you know, some snitch goes around and, like, tickets you. You know, it's stuff like that. And, and you understand the purpose. It's like the idea is that, oh, we're this community of houses in this subdivision, and we don't want somebody to, you know, paint their house pink. I don't know why. I mean, I guess because it would upset us. We don't want to look at a pink house. I mean, once you actually look at why these things are, you're kind of like, well, why do I really care what that person does with their yard? But they do have rules like that. Those housing covenants are like you have to keep your yard, you know, trim. You can't paint your house pink. You got to bring your garbage can in if it's out, you know, past garbage day. Uh, if you want to build a fence, you have to, you know, get approval from the housing board. You know, they have these rules. And at some point, though, you just go like, why do I actually care about this? It's like my the value of my house. Like if, if someone has to look out their window and see, you know, a pink and purple house, they uh, their house might go down in value, I guess. I don't know. I don't know what the reason for that is, because when you actually examine these things, you go, why does any of this matter? And those are the sorts of questions you ask sometimes when you're part of a community of any kind. Why does this matter? Who elected you leader? Because someone often does become a leader. Communities do often have some sort of uh, a ruling panel, at the very least, and that's, you know, a cause for a lot of friction. You know, who, who made you boss, you know? Uh, it's a common sentiment when groups of people get together. 
and someone uh, tries to become leader of the pack or is, is leader of the pack. A common uh, or is just popular. You know, people have all the same uh, petty feelings they would have in any kind of social situation, in any, any kind of setting, in school, in school, at the workplace. And uh, those are situations, too, where you really sometimes will experience a sense of forced community. Like, I think it's nice when workplaces, when people can kind of come together and just, even if they're just going through the motions to be like, hey, you know, we support each other, we like each other, we're having a potluck. Uh, we're all the windows are, we're going to invite Frank, but just so you know, all the windows are locked. Uh, and, uh, we're going to allow him, we're going to keep the door unlocked. You know, we don't want him to feel, uh, like he's stuck. Um, but no, it's, it's nice when people do that. Cause once again, it's like, if the goal is just, you know, acceptance, understanding, goodwill toward each other, but sometimes it can feel very forced. Sometimes I've certainly worked at places where there's, not just forced, but almost an enforced community. It's almost enforced in the same way it is uh, in a, at a housing development with a covenant, where it's almost like you have to do this. And you do it not for a sense of community, but because the boss wants you to, or you want to you know, get a raise, or you know, it, it becomes this thing where there's ulterior motives once again. And uh, when, when something becomes forced, you know, it's often a sign that an ulterior motive is involved because why else would you force something to happen? Why else would you force this to be a thing? And sometimes you even see it with, uh, you know, there's a thing that has gone on on the internet with podcasts in the last few years, like the so-called intellectual dark web. Uh, If you're familiar with it, you're familiar with it. Uh, I would expect most people listening to this show to kind of have an idea of what that is. But it was something where it was just these independent people and then someone came up with a tag name for it, and uh, but people start talking about it like it's an actual group of people who are, you know, acting in collaboration with each other when really they're just people who know each other, and some of them agree, some of them don't. But people like to be able to put a label on things. People like to be able to call, you know, themselves something. They like to be able to call groups of other people something, because it's not just you know, community isn't just this inward thing that we develop where we're like, oh, we're this group of people doing this thing or have this common, you know, this common interest, this common uh, set of values. It's not just that, but we also like to, you know, form communities in our mind that exist outside of us where it's like those people are doing something together and I may or may not agree with them. And if I don't, I'm going to, you know, call it a conspiracy it's almost like community and conspiracy are the inverse of each other. I mean, I know it's not perfect, but it's almost like they're the inverse of each other in some ways, where it's like when something's a community, it's like, oh, people are coming together and they're they're working in harmony uh, for some something I agree with and support. And then when we think about people coming together for something that we don't agree with or is shadowy, it's a conspiracy. Uh, is what you guys are participating in, is it a community or a conspiracy? A communal conspiracy. The housing covenant was a conspiracy. It was a communal conspiracy. Uh, When you can ticket people for leaving their garbage cans out, that means they have to pay money to the development. And uh, the people on the the committee can then choose where that money goes. And they can choose to put that money wherever they want to build a new clubhouse. That sounds like a conspiracy to me. And clubhouses are cool. You know, I've gone on at length in the past about bad guy hideouts. And whether they're in, you know, movies, cartoons, any anytime, video games, doesn't matter where it is, comic books. Anytime you see that classic bad guy hideout, you know, chains hanging from the wall. What are those chains even for? You know, none of you guys are auto mechanics, but, you know, this place looks like a, a, a garage. This looks like an auto garage. Uh, but it's cool. Why are there just, you know... Uh, barrels of toxic waste in the corner with like chains hanging above them because it's cool. Why are there crates? What's in those crates? Oh, nothing. This is a bad guy hideout. We have crates hanging around. You know, saying clubhouse feels the same way. You might feel childish, like boys hanging out in a clubhouse. But when I hear clubhouse, I think of, you know, gangsters. I think of mafia social clubs. I think of, you know, biker clubhouses. I think clubhouses are cool. And uh, there's no doubt that, you know, housing covenants, housing committees, whatever they're called, uh, housing development committees, homeowners boards, uh, 
Uh, I don't think it's any coincidence that they have little clubhouses too because they want to feel cool. Everybody wants to feel cool when they have a clubhouse. And so, you know, I understand coming together and, you know, you give your clubhouse a name and you can talk about, you know, you can conspire in there. That's what most, most of what people do. That's what people do in bad guy hideouts. That's what people do in social clubs. They conspire. It's a good place to conspire. Is there a place that I can, you know, and, and I mean, so much of conspiracy is just like where you're at. Like if you're, uh, you know, at McDonald's or something, you know, it's kind of 50-50 whether what you're discussing is going to be a conspiracy or not. But if you're in a clubhouse, it becomes like an 80-20 situation where whatever you're talking about has the potential to be a conspiracy. Uh, but anyway, yeah, just that idea of, you know, it's a community if I like it. It's a conspiracy if I don't. And, uh, I, you know, sometimes I'd rather be a part of a conspiracy. Sometimes I'd like to believe that I actually have conspiracies available to participate in. I've never been approached with a, a conspiracy. I I've, I've found myself accidentally being parts, uh, a part of a community I've accidentally ended up on the periphery of communities before and been like, whoa, how the fuck did I end up a part of this? I've never ended up being part of a conspiracy. You know, I got in trouble in school maybe for, you know, doing stuff with my friends. You know, got in trouble for, you know, doing stupid shit as a kid, you know, that we, I guess we planned. Uh, but as an adult, even as a teenager or older, I never found myself just suddenly like, oh my God, I'm, I'm participating in a conspiracy. And I guess part of that is because I don't hang out at enough clubhouses. And some would say that, you know, the community of modern people is a conspiracy. Some would say that, you know, simply being a member of the community of modern people is itself an act of conspiracy. And it is. You know, being a modern person does make you a co-conspirator in something large and strange. And uh, one of the conspiracies that you're participating in is just survival itself. And why we augment that with so many other just bizarre things is, you know, anyone's guess. Uh, You know, got to keep this technology rolling. Technology we have, it's working out pretty well, and it's pretty fucking incredible, the rate at which it is advanced. Oh, you know, this everything's rolling uh, along real nicely. We got everything we need, but we need to advance it. That's the craziest conspiracy of all that the community of modern people are all co-conspirators in, is just this one of, like, never stopping. The one where we never stop. When where we never just like stop and like consider where we are, and what we have and what we can do with that, and why do we need to keep you know changing it and getting rid of things and adding new things to the mix? You know, that's the strangest conspiracy of all because I've never heard it explained. I've never been a part of a community, even the community of modern people which is at the center of this entire conspiracy, I've never once heard that explained of why. You know, I know, I, I understand that once we get those things, you know, once you get a new car that has a computer in it, uh, once you get a phone that can, uh, you know, show you every street in Uganda, you know, I understand that once you get that, it's exciting. I, I understand when you get, like, a plastic pad with a fake pen that allows you to, like, draw, and the drawing shows up as some crisp digital line on your computer screen. Like, I understand why that's impressive. I understand why that's exciting to some people. But what gets me is just, I've I've never had it explained why it keeps happening. I understand you go to school. I understand you're intrigued. I understand we all have a need to keep doing things. I mean... Uh, you could just you can go deeper and deeper and just say why am I doing this uh, you know why, whatever you know you can always ask why it's it's like the little kid who just asks why in response to everything and you know it just gets deeper and deeper it's kind of like that and so I hopefully I'm not going to go that far with it uh, but there are some things that I've just really never heard a, a reason why we keep doing them. Uh, and uh, you know community though I understand why we need that. I understand why people feel empty without it. 
and I don't completely understand why it's not a priority for me. You know, and I've explained that, you know, community often makes me feel uncomfortable or I feel somehow like I'm the false one or, you know, oftentimes, though, I, I do feel the community itself is false in some way. But I do take, you know, some of the blame myself. Uh, but it's it's there are a lot of questions here. I'm, I'm just ending this with this big fat why a big fat why. That's all I got for you is a big fat why. Yo, uh, yo I'm trying to figure this out. And all I all I keep coming up with is a big fat why, a big fat why. That'd be that's something people should say. A big fat why. Hey, uh, we're, we've decided to ticket you for leaving your garbage can out an extra day. A big fat why. Be something if you said that to your kid, like if you were a dad and like you let out some uh, in some moment of stressed out dad anger. If you said to your son, like, yeah, well, a big fat why. They would, they'd remember that forever. They might even say that to their kid. You know how history repeats. Uh, a big fat why. Let's just end it with that, you know, a little discussion of community and, like, what it is, what it isn't, you know, what it... Conspiracy. When, it, when it's not a community, it's a conspiracy. That's what we learned today. Um, <laughs> if it's not communal, it's, it's conspiratorial. That's what we learned today. If you're not actively participating in something on a communal level, if you're not a participant in the, in the community around you, if you're not part of the community of modern people, you are a conspirator against us. And the question I would ask then is, a big fat why? This land is mine God gave this land to me This brave, this golden land to me And when the morning sun Reveals her hills and plains I see a land where children can run free.